Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Beyond the Crucible. Our precious youngest son, Alex, he was just 17 years old. We were planning his 18th birthday in December. He, he was trying to help a boy at school. He had a great heart for people who were struggling. And uh, he ended up taking some marijuana. The other boy told us it was marijuana. I don't think it was anything worse, but there is a small percentage I've since discovered of, of people who get really impacted with marijuana. It messes up their physiology. And that was Alex. And he became delusional and paranoid. And we thought that he was, you know, it's just a passing thing. He'd, he'd get through anything else. But no, on the 8th of November, 2005, Alex went out of our house and he went down to the beach by Lake Michigan and, and he committed suicide. A parent's worst nightmare. That's what Gerard Long and his wife Jeannie endured in 2005. And inconceivably, it wouldn't be the last time. Their daughter, Rebecca, was killed in an accident in 2014. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. How did the Longs bounce back from their pair of life-shattering crucibles? Not quickly, and not easily. The trauma of the events nearly ripped their marriage in two, but as Gerard tells Warwick, they both found their way back to their faith, which not only helped them make sense of the tragedies, but create a life of greater significance and impact in their aftermath. Out of their pain, the Longs created Awakened to God Ministries, where they carry out a mission close to their now-healed hearts showing others who've suffered hard times and loss that God can take the worst things that happen to us and turn them for good. As Gerard explains, everything that God permits us to go through in our lives is preparation for what he's got for us later on. Well, Gerard, thank you so much for being here. You know, it's hard to say I enjoyed reading your book, but I really did. There's unspeakable uh, tragedy, as you put it in one chapter, unthinkable, uh, unimaginable tragedy, but yet there is hope. And um, I love the title of your book, uh, Living Hope. One of the things that you say, and I love how you define it, you say, I've learned that in my darkest times, I can grow closer to God than at any other time. Being totally honest with God, my faith has grown and hope has sprung up from deep within. And you say, I have hope, not just any hope, but I have living hope. So we'll get into the backstory, but just briefly talk about why you called your book Living Hope, because that's an, that's an amazing title. Well, thank you, Warwick. Thank you, Gary. It's a privilege and honor to be on your, your show today and to talk about a subject that is very, very close to my heart because I've lived it for 17 years or so and realizing that one of the reasons God permits us to go through the crucible, and of course that's at different levels, uh, is so that we can pass on the comfort that God has comforted us with, the grace, if you like, that he's given us in our crucible to help others who are struggling at the moment. And We've probably we've helped through our ministry probably well tens of thousands of people. And it's been a privilege to be able to do that. So why do we call it living hope? It is because one of the epiphanies I had in the midst of my my uh, darkest hours, and God is is with us. The Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted, he 
says those who are crushed in spirit, um, is that I had an epiphany of eternity. And what I mean by that is I came to understand what Scripture says, that this life is relative to eternity, is just a blink. Uh, we are sojourners here. Uh, we're heading for our real home, which is with Jesus uh, in heaven. And this, if you like, is a preparation time. And I, I started to understand that in a, a whole new level. And we read in um, Peter, beginning of, of Peter, I think, yeah, 1 Peter, thanks be to God. Um, and, and then he goes on to say that we've got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and, a, and an inheritance undefiled, uh, unspoiled, kept in heaven for us. So for the Christian, for those who have received Jesus, uh, we have an unbelievable future. It's an amazing future that we've got ahead of us. And quite honestly, we, we don't spend enough time pondering on what that means. And so I wanted to call it living hope. It's not it's not a just hope. It's a living hope. Why? Because Jesus overcame death um, and, and, the, and the grave, overcame sin for us. And that is the, that is the hope we have. So I want to, before we get to the, the tragedies, and you've, you've had a lot, obviously, there's the immediate ones in your family, but you've had just a whole series of, I mean, obviously, um, we read in the Bible about Job-like experiences, but I've met very few people that have had almost a full-on Job-like series of experiences and not just two or three, but I don't know, dozens of ways. Uh, but let's just talk about the backstory because um, you grew up in uh, Southern England, as I understand, and just reading about those early years, it feels like you had this almost idyllic upbringing with two loving parents that loved Jesus they didn't just preach their faith, they lived their faith. You talked about, you know, being on the south coast of England and, you know, going through the downs, uh, just some grassy sort of hills. And just talk about your parents and that early life, because I'm reading about it. It's like, is it possible to have a happier upbringing? Maybe it is, but it sounded pretty idyllic. So talk about just that idyllic upbringing, as I see it, growing up yes. in England with yes, your parents. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And, I, and that uh, again, I believe everything that we God permits us to go through in our lives is for preparation for what He's got for us later on, and that created such a great foundation for me. My ancestors on both sides, my mum's side and my dad's side, go back to the Huguenots, so go back hundreds of years uh, of my family walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, and my parents had a, a as you said, a, a, a very real faith. It was a living faith. I saw great love. My father was just a love boy he just he used to hug you <laughs> um, and I saw him loving my my mum and that maybe is one of the most powerful evidences of love of seeing your 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 dad love your mother who obviously means a lot and my mother obviously was very very loving as well took took care of me I was the youngest of four children and um they uh, they all my my siblings loved me as well especially my older sister she really did <laughs> She really did. So I was I was really brought up. I was founded in this tremendous love. And we we had a, a fairly privileged upbringing and we weren't rich by any means, but we were we were comfortable. We lived in a beautiful house. 
uh, a great garden. We live by by the by the sea, the ocean. We can hear I could hear it from my window, bedroom window. Beautiful blossom trees in the garden. Lots of amazing memories I have growing up. Lots of fun. Lots of adventure. In those days, of course, you didn't. We didn't have. I didn't have a television until I was oh, I don't know, nine, ten years old. So, um, and I was the youngest. So we made our own amusement when it was when we could. It was like I would go out and all these incredible adventures. Now, trust me, I, I wasn't a, a goody two shoes by any means. It was it was the other end of the spectrum. Which later on, I was sent off to a military school, partly to be disciplined. <laughs> but it was it was all, it wasn't malicious um, uh, naughtiness. It was just having fun and adventure, if you know what I mean. And then you decided to go to university to. Um... And I may not pronounce it right. Is, is it uh, Loughborough or how do you pronounce Loughborough, it? Loughborough, yeah. Before that, I had to do, I went home to do my, in the UK, we call them A-levels. That would be yeah. the high school. It would be year 11 and 12 here in America. But it was it was to do my A-levels. That was a local school. So I went home to do those. And then I went, and then I had a year gap. And then I went on to university uh, because I went into a banking course there. So, but, but that you're right. In, in that period, I I uh, made a decision to go my own way for a while. I knew God was real, but I knew I wasn't living as a Christian. He, Jesus was my savior. He was not my Lord. And I realized I was being a hypocrite. And one of the things that really riles me is, is hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't stand it. And I can see it in myself. So I said, Lord, if you don't mind, I'll take the steering wheel, so to speak. If you don't mind sitting in the back, <laughs> I will do my own thing. And and I got headlong into into running. I was I had a I had, yes I had a, a quite a bit of talent, and uh, very quickly I got to a very high level within the country, and so I um, that became a god to me, small g. But I I slept it, drank it, ate it. It was all about getting on, but getting to the Olympics, becoming the champion, getting a fitness uh, health school, everything. Had it all the plan worked out. But then. There was an interesting turning point uh, in which you kind of tore your Achilles or something. And in some ways, as I read that, it felt like that was, in a weird way, a blessing that you tore your Achilles, which, how can that be good? But that was one of the turning points in your life, in your faith. So talk about how, why, how can it be good to tear your Achilles? I mean, so talk about what happened and how that affected your whole life. Well, well, so often in our lives, we we have our, especially for an A1 type person, you've got your head down, you know where you're going, you're all in, and that was me. And it was almost like what I what I look back and I see it was like like God was saying, I, I need your attention and put His finger under my chin. I need you to start looking up here. So there were three things that happened. Um, number one, I'd I'd met and fallen. Well, quasi in love. She was in love with me. I wasn't really in love with her so much because I was in love with athletics. That was my God. But this wonderful, wonderful young lady, she was a, a, a ballerina, Royal Ballet School, one, uh, precious. Uh, we had great relationship, great fun together. That was one. Number two, um, it was my final year at Loughborough, and I wanted to really go for it. My, I had my finals, obviously, but I wanted to really go for my running, to try and get to twi- twice training twice a day and things like that. So I got off campus to get away from the partying and things like that and the noise and went into a home. On, uh, there was no one else around. But one guy, I, but he was a teacher, he wasn't around. And and then I got my Achilles injury. And so there was no one else around. Jeannie was overseas dancing. Um, I was uh, off campus 
And now the Lord had me in a place where he could speak to me. And he did. And he did. And it was really very, very clear how he spoke to me. Uh, my brother, uh, who had never written to me in my life, my, my the brother just older me, he wrote to me. Um, and I think it was the thir- 13th of Feb- February he wrote to me. I've got this letter from him. And he's, he's, he wrote in there this sentence, Charles, I want you to know that God's got a plan for you made out of perfect love. Now, you know, sometimes you get words come to you and I couldn't get those words out of my mind. And so the next day it was Valentine's Day. I mean, you can't make these things up. It was Valentine's Day, 1980. And I'm sitting at my desk, no one else around, no Christians. And I'm pondering. I had a fairly logical mind and I'm thinking, hmm, creator of the universe. Because I never had a problem believing God was real and he created the universe. Creator of the universe has a plan for my life. And I'm thinking, there's my plan. Pretty good. You know, I know where I want to go and everything else. But there's God's plan. How can I compete <laughs> with the creator of the universe? And so I, I I came to a place of what the Bible would say, repentance. I totally surrendered all of my life to God. I just said, okay, God, from here on in, it's about your, your will, not mine. And as I did that, it was like, Wesley called it a liquid love. It was like liquid love being poured into my heart. I, I felt this incredible sense of God's presence, and my heart melted with this love for Jesus Christ, actually. I, I started to cry. I was weeping with this the, the immensity of this love. It wasn't a bad weeping. It was a good weeping, but I was, I was completely transformed. It was the presence of God came into that room, no question about it. Uh, I hadn't cried for seven or eight years, captain of the track team, you know, one of the lads on campus, all of this. And here I am crying like a baby, <laughs> really deep sobbing. And I from that end, I just surrendered all. I said, okay, God. And, and I was, I fell head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. I couldn't put the Bible down. Now it was, it was like gold to me. I used to read it through the night and make notes. I was desperate to tell everybody I knew about this incredible person that I'd met in Jesus Christ. And I did. I, I set out. I told everybody I knew. I told them what, what had happened. And, you know, no one mocked me to my face, but, but here's this guy completely changed. Stopped swearing overnight. And I surrendered all, you know, I, every area of my life, including my running. My, I had a business. I was making quite a bit of money with my business. I said, God, OK, I put all of these things on the altar. Whatever you want, I'll do your will. I want people to meet with you. So life is going on. You get married. Your degree was in banking. You get a job in Midland Bank in London and a part of a local church, begin having kids. And so life is going, uh, life is going pretty well. And then, um, I mean, one sort of next big uh, turning point is your boss came and said, Hey, you know, we need somebody in New York. And, you know, I think by the time Midland Bank had been, uh, you know, bought by the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, commonly known as HSBC. And right. like, I mean, you loved being in London. You were part of a great church. And it's like, really, God? But yet you felt, I need to go to the US. You spent, I don't know, a year or so in New York. And then there was some other big transaction and you moved to Chicago. So those were a lot of moves for your family, but you felt like the Lord was in all that. So talk a bit about that period of, Running was now not, you know, front and center, and you were career, families growing, you, had, you know, three wonderful kids, London, New York, Chicago. Just talk about that period of, you know, movement. 
Well, let's start with what you mentioned because it's it's so relevant to to us today, especially in the West, where materialism, money, security, and in, in those things mean so much to everybody. And I and in that epiphany time when I was sitting in my desk in Loughborough, I came to realise very very clearly that it's not, it's not so much what you got on the outside that matters; it's what you've got on the inside through what God said to me. And when you stop and ponder that, you realise that. Um, and so I, I God had said to me. If you go my way, you may not get the things on the outside, but it, it, I will give you fullness of life on the in, inside. And so uh, love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, how can you beat those things? Love, joy. I, I have unbelievable joy. Peace, amazing peace. You know, but all, all of the, the things that, that people are longing for, let's say chase after money in all these positions and no, no, Jesus, I'll give it to you in me. And so I re- so then I really, you know, it came to be clear it's not about my will. It's about his will, because it's in the relationship with Christ that the life of Christ flows through us by the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to be obedient to him. So in 2004, I said to Jeannie, does it get any better than this? And one of the things in our Christian walk, we learn that it's like I walk with Christ is a bit like the seasons. I think God's given us the seasons to help us understand that, that sometimes everything's going well, and that's okay. Enjoy it. While you're while you're in it, because it's not what God promises us, but it can be like the summertime. It was like that for for us, you know, a beautiful walk with Christ, a beautiful marriage of twenty four years. We really loved each other. Three fantastic, highly talented, gifted children uh, in a great church. We were doing Alpha, which is an introduction to Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know over fifty courses at that stage in the UK and then then in 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 New York, people coming to faith in Christ in our front room in a beautiful location by the lake michigan um earning a lot of money this is this is great isn't it i mean what what more would you want <laughs> great holidays skiing holidays you know off to whistler and you know it was just it was amazing does it get any better than this and that was a bit of a setup i mean why would i say that gene, gene remembers me saying it because <laughs> i don't know if you want to introduce the next part yeah, of the yeah 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 so just before I do, I mean, I, I like how you just give us a, a vignette of your three kids, Rebecca, Ben, and Alex, and Rebecca being, I mean, they're all athletes, you know, obviously. Yeah. they got your uh, athletic genes and your wife, Jeannie's, obviously, uh, ballet. There's a lot of, you know, athletic genes. And, you know, Rebecca being a great 800 distance runner, and she's doing great. You know, Ben, uh, and they're all obviously people of faith, Ben is uh, tremendous in rugby and cross country and Alex mm. uh, also running and soccer. I mean, they were athletes and doing fantastically. And, you know, life, as you say, couldn't be much better than that. And then November 2005 happened and the trajectory of your life forever changed. So talk about what happened then and uh, sort of the the unthinkable. Our precious youngest son, Alex, he was just 17 years old. We were planning his 18th birthday in December. He he was trying to help a boy at school. He had a great heart for people who were struggling. And uh, he ended up taking some marijuana. The other boy told us it was marijuana. I, I don't think it was anything worse. But there is a small percentage I've since discovered of, of people who get really impacted with marijuana. It messes up their physiology. And that was Alex. And he became delusional and paranoid. And we thought that he was, you know, it's just a passing thing. He'd, he'd get through and everything else. But no, on the um, on the 8th of November 2005, Alex went out of our house 
and he went down to the beach by Lake Michigan and, and he committed suicide and uh, had no had never come across suicide. I mean, I'd heard of it, obviously, but in our family or friends. And suddenly this, I mean, how do you how do you come to terms with that when one minute Alex is with us, the next minute he's gone and in such a horrible way? And the way it happened, we had to wait four hours through the night while we're waiting to hear from the police and what's going on. And they come to us sort of midnight. And it was the most darkest time you can remember, imagine. And um, utter, total brokenness. From being the top of the mountain, I've come down the top for a bit because it had been a tough year. But now I'm really in the bottom of the valley. And my beautiful wife, Jeannie, she went from shock to horror to anger to hatred because one of the things with suicide, if, if you let it, is blame and shame. Why didn't you see this coming? Why didn't you do anything about it? And of course, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he got hold of Jeannie and just ravaged her. I mean, she just was beaten up and beaten up, and she hated herself. She hated me. Why did you bring us to America? Why did you move us from New York? Why do you? Why do we go to this? He went to this school. She was trying to unwind, and she nearly lost her mind. We nearly put her into a psychiatric hospital. She had a she had an internal knotting of the of the intestines. She nearly died from that because of the grief, and and she hated God. Well, we'd served you for twenty four years. How could you have allowed this to happen? And and then she lost her faith for two years. And I was utterly broken. Two months after Alex, my sister died of cancer. Uh, a few years after that, my brother died of cancer. But in that period of those two years, it was so so painful. And all I could do was to go down. To my study in the middle of the night and I used to sob and and cry until I had no more tears to cry and sometimes I didn't even couldn't even say words I just used my tears were my prayers sometimes it was just Lord help me sometimes it was just help and God's presence came in that time in that room the 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 intimacy with God you you, you could never get that outside of that brokenness and the Lord gave me three epiphanies in that time one was eternity which i mentioned earlier on i i saw eternity so very clear and it helped me so much because i couldn't make sense of why and how god could be glorified with what had happened and we're having people write to us christians and non-christians saying hang on you're you're following jesus how, how come this has happened to you you know what what's going on and i and i couldn't explain it at the time you know so i'm 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 resting with this, Lord, giving it over to God. And then when I saw eternity, it it flipped it the other way. And then I start to realize that this life is is just a very, very short period. And what Jesus said is, whatever you're willing to lay your life down here for. And I and he was saying, Oh, Jared, you need to lay your life down. You need to surrender all that pain to me and allow me to be God, because I'm going to do something with this. And I started to realize, and then he said, oh, oh, you'll be repaid a hundredfold in this life and through eternity, eternity. So I believe my relationship with Alex will be that much greater because I've missed, been missing him for so many years down here. And, and Jesus said, I'll, I'll make it up to you. And I started to see, build up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Over a hundred times in the, in the New Testament, it talks about eternal rewards. Now, when you see that, when you really see it, why would you ever live for anything down here anymore? So eternity was one of the epiphanies. Grace, God's grace, which is God's equipping, which I define grace as like is Jesus, you know, 
because his life for us is everything we need to journey through what God calls us to do. Grace is he'll promise to equip us with everything we need. And the other thing was God's heart for the broken. One of these times I was just down sobbing and I felt an arm around me and it was so real that I, I, I turned to see who was there. And there was no one physically there. But then I realized, I guess the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that it was actually that was Jesus. And the thing that really got me was that he was sobbing. He was, he was sobbing with me in, in my brokenness. And I came to realize how much God feels the, the suffering in this world. And he sees every bit of it and it breaks his heart. Now, shortly after that, I was, I was asked to, to lead Alpha USA, which is an amazing work to bring people to Christ. So it made so much sense to step down from my career in banking. A huge cost, a 70% drop in salary. But I knew it was God calling me. And then the other thing that God said to me in that time was, God, Gerald, you need to keep loving Jeannie because in my love is light. And that light will help her to come out of her darkness. She was in dark, utter darkness. It was, it was palpable, the, the presence of evil over our home. And we couldn't shift it. We had people in praying. It was just, and God was teaching me something about what I'm, I'm doing now, dealing with the forces of darkness that bring blindness to people's eyes. Jeannie was not seeing straight. I mean, the way she was thinking wasn't straight. Bit by bit, that love, and it was only by God's grace. Twice I said, God, I can't do this. That's it. I can't do it anymore. But I know you want me to. And so I ask you to give me more grace so that I can. And I'd go back to bed for a couple of hours and then get up to go to work. And I had more love in my heart for Jeannie. And I knew it was God's grace. I knew it was all him. And bit by bit, she came out of her darkness and our love was restored. Her faith was restored. She's serving again with me in Alpha. And then the unbelievable happened. Talk about 2014 and um, the, the chapter you, you write there says it all. You, you, the headline of the chapter says, unbelievable, unthinkable, unimaginable. Yeah. Talk about what happened that year. Well, our oldest child is Rebecca. She's our uh, absolute angel. And uh, she, brilliant athlete. Very, very bright, the, the beautiful to look at. Um, she's she's also, uh, I'm doing this, I'm going to see if I can bring a picture up because I, I, I'd like to show you how beautiful she is. She she is also um, sweet, sweet spirit, very sweet. In fact, we still have people today say how much she she changed the, her, their lives. Um, and she couldn't stand the thought of young people dying because obviously this has come out for her, her, her youngest brother, her sibling, what happened to him, it, it deeply, deeply touched her, her and Ben, our other child. And she couldn't stand the thought of young people dying without knowing Jesus. And she just got a, been accepted into a corporate world. She got an MBA at 25 from Loyola University. She was very bright. But she she said to, to us, she said, Mum and Dad, I, 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 I don't want, I can't go on in this corporate world thinking of people passing without Jesus. I want. I, and she came to join me in Alpha, Alpha USA. She became the national director of Alpha Youth. I was having huge impact all up and down the country, all around. I had the privilege of sharing a platform, talking with her. Um, and we, I, we'd done that beginning of May down in San Diego. I had to go to London for a conference, Alpha conference, actually. She then came back to Chicago on the 7th of May. She went, she went for a run the next day, but it was very, very hot. And we're not sure exactly what happened, but she, we know she was down by the lake. Her shoes and socks were there. We knew, we knew she had blood sugar issues. She used to get very faint if she got up quickly. 
We think what happened, she'd gone down to the lake and, and she'd fainted and fallen into the lake. And where she fell in, she couldn't get out of, of Lake Michigan. And she tried to swim around because she was seen out in the water. She was trying to swim around to a boat ramp to get out. Now, the, the, the winter had been brutal. The temperature was still 37 degrees. It was freezing. She got hypothermia and she drowned. We, I mean, I, I can't, I don't, I can't describe the, the agony. Um, but it, but anyway, she, 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 we were, we were over in the UK. And we got, it was, it was a, the way it happened was again so painful. It was just, just, you wouldn't want to see that when Gina and I got heard about it and how we were. Jeannie became like a like a vegetable. I mean, she she stopped speaking. I mean, she she'd surfaced. If grief drags you down into the dark dark waters, she'd surfaced again and was coming through. And then suddenly she sucked right down. And she knew she couldn't go on. I mean, her 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 personality. She she nearly died after Alex. And now Rebecca, who'd been so instrumental of bringing helping to bring her out of her her grief with Alex over over a number of years. And now she's gone. And so she wasn't speaking. And I'm sitting down at my desk one day, and I, I'm aware of her. She goes behind me. She goes upstairs. I'm reading John 6, actually, which is a whole other story about, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you've got no part of me. Are you are you offended, uh, Jesus said there? What will you say when you see me in my glory? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Anyway, sometime later, she comes downstairs, and I look up, and Jeannie's face is is glowing. I mean, it's it's like shining, a bit like Moses down the mountain. And I got, I jumped up. I said, Jeannie, what has happened to you? And her eyes were blazing. And she said, I'll tell you what happened. She said, I was going into Rebecca's room and I wasn't going to come out. But she said, as I opened the door, went through the door, the room filled with light. And she said, there was an overwhelming sense of love and joy. And she knew she didn't see a physical form, but she knew it was Jesus in front of her. And he was speaking to her various things. But she also, she said she was aware of Alex and Rebecca behind her. Interestingly. It's almost like for a moment she had, she was in heaven for a moment. And this overwhelming love and joy in the presence, in the presence of God. And one of the things the Lord said to her was, Jeannie, your grief is not your own. Now, that's a very profound word. Jeannie, your grief is not your own. So she comes downstairs, and there we are, two, two very, very broken vessels. And we, we say, Lord, we, this cup is very bitter. And we don't like this cup. We don't, but, it, but we've got this cup. And so we just said, Lord, but by your grace, we, we want to be faithful to how you want to use this brokenness to help other people. And Genesis 50, 20 was a, a, a word that became very strong, as with many other scriptures. You know, Genesis 50, 20 is where, where, where what happens with Joseph, remember, all those things happened to him. He didn't, he, I mean, he was a bit foolish, but he didn't cause those things. And, and he says to his brothers right at the end, you intended this for evil. We, we knew Satan was behind everything. He intended to destroy us. You intended this for evil. God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. So we said, okay, Lord, use it for your glory now. Turn this round to help people. And we started a non-profit called Awakening to God Ministries based on Isaiah 61, 1 to 4, to help the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and the prisoners. And we've, we've had the honor to help millions of people online 
um, and the poorest of the poor in India and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, that was that un- unbelievable thing, unimaginable thing that happened with our beautiful daughter. And, and again, it's part of the cross we take up every single day because we miss them every single day. I miss what could have been. Alex would have gone to the Olympics. I'm sure of that. I'd love to have walked Rebecca down the aisle. I'd love to have our grandchildren through them. You know, okay, by your grace, Lord, by your grace. And we say we're just we're just ministers of God's amazing grace. I've come to the conclusion, all right, that there's actually really two things that I can say to God, and maybe actually I'd suggest everybody can say to God. One is thank you. Thank you, because if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> your, your atoms would not be existing. Um, thank you for life. Thank you for those years we had with Alex and Rebecca. Thank you for the years we, we're going to have through eternity with them. The time, well, there's no time in eternity. Our time with, with Rebecca and Alex. Um, and the other thing is yes. Now, you you could say no. You had the free will to say no. Uh, Jonah tried that. It didn't go too well from him when he when he said no to God. Uh, and so I, I encourage every Christian to be totally surrendered to God. You'll never lose out. People would say, well, you've lost out. Well, eternity will see whether we've lost out or not. <laughs> I, I, I believe that, we, that, that he gives you the grace. Whatever he, whatever he asks you to do, he'll give you the grace to do it. He'll give you the grace. That's his life. And so you can say, okay, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'll say yes to you. And what's interesting is um, Awakening to God Ministries is taking off, but there was more challenges to come, some financial challenges, which we won't get into all the details. We'll get into one aspect of it, you know, Jeannie getting diagnosed with bladder cancer. But in 2019, a miracle happened. Yes. You almost died. You, you should have died. But somehow you didn't. So talk about what happened and help the listeners understand the statistics that meant you had no business in, in being alive. So where were you? What happened? And I, th- I think there was 2019 and being from Australia, like you, I follow rugby. There was a big uh, rugby match. Uh, England was in the semifinal, the World Cup. And of course, the World Cup just for those rugby fans just ended uh, a week or so ago. But um so talk about 2019 and how somehow you didn't die, and even though you should have in one, you know, earthly sense. So talk about that. Yeah. What happened. So I, I, let me just preface this a little bit. So a bit of humor here. So Jeannie and I, we reflect on the, our brokenness, and we were saying, people often say, well, you're like Job, you know, and we said, well, at least we've got our health. Thank God we've got our health and we've got our finances. And then shortly after that, bang. Um, it all changed. And so as you said, as you rightly say, I've been invited by some South African friends to their home at 1 a.m. in the morning because it was being streamed from Tokyo, semi-final Rugby World Cup, England playing the All Blacks. Massive match. And uh, England scored within two minutes. That's New Zealand for non-rugby fans. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So I'm, I'm... my friends look over expecting I'd be going wild, you know, with this, the, the great, great score. Instead, I'm slumped in the chair. Well, I won't go other than to say what had happened was that I had a, my artery had started to block. I had a buildup of plaque. They said it was 80% blocked. I had been getting a little tightness. I was very, very fit at the time, cycling up hills. We were living in Malibu at the time. And what happened was that the, the rush of adrenaline knocked the top of the, the plaque off like a top of a mountain, it flipped over 
the cardiologist said, and I, suddenly I had a 100% blockage to my AOL, it's a, 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 ALA, or something like that. Anyway, it's called the widow make. It's the main artery to the heart. Boom, my heart stopped. Just like that. And my breathing, I stopped breathing. Now, I believe Satan was trying to take me out. Prior to that, I had this period of, of intense intercession for a great awakening. You can read that in the book. I won't go into it now. But I believe he was trying to take me out. But God intervened because there were two young people there. One I was I was mentoring. Another one was the, was the son of the, my friend who invited me around. And they had these downloads from God. One of them had this down, had never done CPR in his life before. And he sensed God say, get him on the ground and pump his heart 30 times. And then mouth to mouth and again 30. So he started to do that. Meantime, my friend gets his wife down. She was a former nurse. She came, comes down, takes my vitals and said, I'm sorry, he's, he's, he's gone. He's dead. At which point my two, my, these two young guys, one of them, again, it must have been God. He wouldn't accept that. Neither of them would accept it. He starts shouting at me. No, Joe, come back. Come back. Really desperate. I see that desperate prayer, if you like. <laughs> Speaking to this corpse. Um, Come back. Well, the first responders come after 10 minutes. They take over and they do electric shocks to the heart. They were doing CPR and everything, experts. And 20 minutes on, now it's 30 minutes. No heartbeat, no no, no breathing. And they're about to stop. We've done everything we can, guys. I'm, I'm so sorry. And these two young guys wouldn't accept it. Do one more. Do one more electric shock. Do not... And they and they found a heartbeat. All the medics said, absolute miracle. It's crazy. So the statistics are 395,000 people die of a cardiac arrest every year in America. Of those who have it outside of a hospital, which is, of course, me, only 24% survive, are, are revived. Of those who are revived, 90%, 9 out of 10, have serious brain damage because of lack of oxygen to the brain. And I was... That's my, most of those would be like 10 minutes, 12. I was 30 minutes without breathing, without a heartbeat. And so when they gave the MR, my, my, my friends who had helped, who had been there at the time, they thought, oh, we shouldn't have done that. He's going to be a cabbage for the rest of his life. Who wants to be like that? So when they get, they, when I'm going off in the ambulance, they're thinking these thoughts. Later, I go down to the MR, uh, uh, MRI, have it, and they, the, the medic comes out and says it's an absolute miracle. He's got no brain damage, except for a small bit at the back. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure what that is. Jeannie might, might query that now. Some of my friends might query that. But no, 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 I mean, absolute miracle. So there's lots of other things that go with that. I won't get into it now. But God intervenes. I think it was Whitfield said, we, we, are, we are immortal until we finish the work that God's given us to do. And so I, I know I'm on assignment here. I'm on borrowed time, you might say. Um, and... Uh, God's, God's doing something, as he is with all of us. All of us are on an assignment, on a calling. And all, all, John 17, verse 4, Jesus brought glory. He said, I bring you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. It's one of the advice I'd give for this, this call, make sure you're fully engaged in the work that God's planned for you to do. And that means having a heart. Favorite verse, Proverbs 4.23, but everything else, my child, keep your heart because out of it flows the wellspring of life. Don't be about anything else other than God's will. Just be doing what he wants. That is, that is so well said. Um, I want to talk just as we begin to conclude about awakening to God. And there's some remarkable 
speaking of statistics, uh, talk a bit about the number eight, because as you say, when you turn it on its side, it becomes the infinity sign. And I'm not really a big person into signs and all of that because it's hard to understand, but this one, this is really hard to ignore. Talk about the number eight and why that's the logo for Awakening to God and why that's so significant. What are all the eights that add up to that logo? So it is. I mean, this is. I, I, I'm not into numerology particularly, although I I do have an interest in it now. But but um, to a certain extent, I, you know, I can I can look it up. But when we step back for a minute, it, it was bizarre because we started to recognise this pattern that that uh, Alex uh, Rebecca died eight years after Alex. Uh, they were both 800-meter, brilliant 800-meter runners. Uh, they both died on the 8th of the month. They they died about 800 feet apart. So Alex was had had hung himself. He was up in, in a tree, and, and then Rebecca was about 100 feet out into the lake. And um, we saw this is, this is unusual. And the letter 8 uh, turned on its side means infinity. So that's our, that is our logo for the Waiting to God ministry. Means infinity. Infinity goes on forever. <laughs> so again, it's another. It's there's so many links. There's so many things that we step back and say, "Hey, there's there's a there's a bigger story." As with all of us, there's a bigger story going on here. In fact, history is his story. And and when you realise that that we're just part of this bigger story, it was actually it was Shakespeare said the whole world is a stage, and we we all have our entrances and our exits. And and that's a bit really God God's working out His good pleasure, and we we just need to say yes to, to whatever part He's given us to play. So we realise that that we're, we're part of this incredible work that God's doing, and it's an honour and a privilege actually to be part of what He's doing. This is a great time for me to jump in. And um, so Warwick told me about the eights because he read through the book uh, in great detail uh, this morning. He told me about that and. And I thought, okay. So I looked up the eighth book of the New Testament, which yeah. is 2 Corinthians, the eighth um, chapter. The yeah. eighth verse of the eighth chapter of the eighth book of the New Testament is this. And before I read it, I'm going to say, um, if anybody, everybody who's listened to this has heard the love that you have, um, not just for your family, but for God and for those you encounter, you help through your ministry. And this verse... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, is is Paul sort of wrapping up and, and you know, wishing well to the Corinthians. But this is the verse. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And I think anybody who's listened to this show today um, knows that your love for others is genuine. And they know if they've watched this on YouTube or if they've seen some of the clips that we've pulled from this episode, for what you've described, uh, Gerard, you've smiled throughout this whole show. Joy has joy has been stamped on your face. So um, I just thought that very interesting that if all the eights come together, that's the that's the verse right there that your love is genuine. I think that came through here, and I hope listeners receive that in the way that uh, that I mean to. Explain it. Thank you. I, I I hadn't I hadn't looked that up that verse before like you did, and that's that, that's very powerful. Thank you. So that is it's pretty awesome. So it is, there is yeah. something about the number eight. Yes. So who knew? But um, yeah, you know, I'd like to just close as we talk about awakening to God because one of the things we've 
noticed over, I don't know, 125 plus guests we've had. And some of the people have faced, some are not. And we've had people that have um, lost loved ones, been abused, abandoned, financial crises, Parkinson's, paraplegics, quadriplegics, every sadly almost kind of crucible you can think of. But in almost all cases, they've used their pain for a purpose. They've mm. found a way to, um, if they've been abused, try to stop other people, other women being abused and help them bounce back. And I feel like, and this obviously was God's call on your life and Jeannie's life, is to use your pain for a purpose to um, honor the memory of Rebecca and Ben, I mean, Rebecca and Alex, excuse me, um, to honor that memory. Um, so, uh Talk a bit about awakening to God and how I feel like, I mean, you, you talk about scars. You have massive scars uh, in terms of what you've been through. But I've found in my own small little way that as you use what you've been through to help others, it provides drops of grace, like, you know, some degree of healing. You know, nothing will totally heal the hole in your heart. I, I don't minimize at all the pain. but And that's not why you did it, but... It's, you did it to be obedient to God, but talk about awakening to God and how in some sense, when you're using your pain in service of others, it does offer at least some degree of measure of healing, some degree of purpose, some reason to get up in the morning. So just talk about that for listeners who may be going through their own worst day, if you will. Well, that's right. I think one of the things just to, is to realize is that if you look through Scripture, you, you won't find anyone that God used who didn't suffer. You know, you have to ponder about it. Someone said Enoch once, but I said, well, yeah, I didn't really use Enoch. Anything. I mean, he walked with God, but everybody, everybody else suffered in some form or other. At the center of our Christian faith is the greatest suffering you can imagine. The spotless son of God being tortured to death in front of his heavenly father and in front of his mother. Now that's, that's gruesome. And yet through it, God brought this great salvation, great redemption. And so that's to start understanding if God permits, God never causes evil. We have to say that. He never causes evil. That's not God. But he does permit it. See that with Job. We see that with Peter. You know, Peter, Satan has sought to sift you. I've prayed that your faith would not fail. He didn't say, I pray that you won't get sifted. In fact, James and Peter and, and, and uh, Paul all speak about suffering being a privilege and something that you should have joy about. In other words, they're seeing it with a different lens. So it's very important to see that, even in the midst of our brokenness. It's total surrender. But in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it talks about the, the, the suffering. I mentioned at the beginning, the suffering wherewith, uh, the comfort where we were comforted, we're able to com comfort other people. And, and so it is a gift of empathy. Empathy is the ability to, to say to someone, I, I know what you're going through because I've been there myself. And it's beyond compassion. Compassion is we should all have compassion. But you can only have empathy if you've really walked the walk. That's one Hebrews 5. It talks about Jesus being a high priest, able to empathize what we go through because he's walked the walk. He's been here. He knows what it's like. Satan threw everything at him. So we have this gift of empathy that we can come alongside other people. And we have this thing in Awakening to God called, called Hope Warriors. Hope Warriors. And what I try and encourage people to see is that if you've gone through a crucible, if you're, you've been broken, things have happened to you. Look at Joyce Meyer. She was over 100 times raped by her father. Joni Erickson-Tarder, you know, paraplegic, how she's helped 
thousands, tens of thousands of people through that. God has given us then the ability. We're faithful. Don't have to do it. You can say, no, I'm going to get bitter and say, hold back. But actually, you can have a massive impact for good here on earth by turning what Satan intended for evil, whether it's abuse or whatever it is, lost, whatever, and by God's grace, reaching out to help other people. Now, the other ministry, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm more of that away into God's going on. Prayer at the heart. I don't know if you want to come to that, Warwick, but were you going to come to that? So I'll leave. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Talk about it. Prayer at the heart is what I've been doing the last two years. And that, in a sense, is very exciting because um, prayer at the heart is about a great awakening. And a great awakening is is our prayer is that we'd see 63 million people come to faith in Christ first or recommitments by 2027. So I'm about that at the moment, crying out to God on the basis of Luke 11, sorry, Luke 18, the persistent widow. Lord, give us justice against our enemies. One of the things, and I say this, one of the things that we can pray where you've been through the crucible and you know that, that Satan's been behind it, you can go to the Father because Jesus said this in Luke 18. You look it up, the persistent widow. Father, give me justice against my adversary. In other words, turn this round for your glory. And, and I, I pray that now for a great awakening. So I've got this big wave behind me, a wave of God's presence we're praying for. And we've seen the first fruits already. And there's a there's a growing wave going on and now building across America through this thing called prayer of the heart. Give us justice against our enemy. And, and then Jesus says at the end of that little passage, he says, and will I find faith on earth when I come? In other words, are you going to take me at my word? Are you going to are you going to have faith? Uh, John, John 11, 40. Did I not tell you if you believe you'll see the glory of God? So we have this opportunity. Those of us who have been through the crucible to turn it around for good really good and and to use all the prayers that god's given us in scripture father give us justice against our adversary and that's 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 why it's such a powerful thing that we can do that we've come to the point in the show where uh warwick is has exhausted many of his questions i'm sure he has a couple left but i'd be remiss as the co-host of the show uh, gerard if i didn't give you the chance as you've talked about the various ministries that you're involved in and and your books if i didn't give you the chance to let listeners know how they can find out more about you and about the organizations you serve sure well you can you can find us the waiting to god uh, um website is is www.awaitingtogod.org org the prayer at the heart one is uh, again www.prayeratheheart.org, and that will tell you about the ministries, and, and you can c- connect us through that. Um, if you if you uh, want to write to me directly, you can do it at glong at awakeningtogod.org. You can do do it there, and and then we're all on most of the social media channels. YouTube, we've done a triumph of marriage course that's. That's on YouTube. It's been been watched by hundred thousand, over a thousand people now. Um, and uh, the book, please get the book that you mentioned. There, there is the Living Hope book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, there's audio versions there as well. Um, yeah, and you'll, so you'll find us on social media, um, and and there's lots of videos we've done on YouTube as well. Warwick, as always, the last question or questions are yours. Well, Gerard, it's such a privilege to have you. And uh, despite the agony that you and Jeannie have been through, there is a message of hope. There is a message of living hope. And, um, you know, but for God, from our perspective, but for Jesus, there's no way any human could have survived what you went through. It's It would be 
inconceivable and impossible. But and we ask this, um, you know, at the end of uh, of many of our podcasts because it's true. There may be somebody listening today that today may be their worst day. They may be that dark night of the soul. They may be in agony. They may feel like. Uh, whether they're a person of faith or not of faith, that there is no hope. What would a word of hope you'd have for that person who's today, they're in just absolute agony and the bottom of the pit, and they they just have this complete sense of hopelessness and despondency? First, I, I say it, my heart goes out to you because I, I know what you're going through, and I really do. Uh, but then I, would, I say this to you. Uh, it's something that actually... Winston Churchill said in, in, in the darkest hours uh, when he was uh, the war prime minister for Great Britain, everything looked dire as though the, the Nazis were going to take over. And he said, never, ever, ever, ever give up. And I'd say that to you. If you're, if you're absolutely in agony, I want to tell you this. There's better days coming. And it may you, you may not see it. I'm sure you wouldn't see it now, I, I know. But let me tell you, for one who's journeyed down that valley for, for a number of years, it's true. And God will turn it around. Hang on to him with everything you've got. And yes, your prayers might just be your tears, but it might even just be help. Oh, Lord, help me. Give me your more grace. Cry out to God. Don't, don't journey on your own because we can't. Cry out to God. Help me. Help me, God. I need you. And you know, in that intimacy, you get to a relationship with God that you wouldn't otherwise ever be. Never get to that. You let God in close. And that's what he wants to do. And he is the God of all hope. And he will strengthen your heart and by his grace enable you to go forward. Romans 15, 13, may the God of grace uh, give you joy and peace in believing that you may overflow with grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have some conflict going on here. I've been in the communication business long enough to know when the last word on a subject's been spoken, and it very much appears like Gerard Long spoke it. However, I've been a co-host of this podcast long enough to know when Winston Churchill comes up, Warwick sometimes has more to say because, nope, okay, we're good. Um, so, listener, <laughs> thank you for spending the time with us. That will be the last word for me will be to thank you for spending this time with us and to ask you to remember as Gerard has has spoken, as Warwick has talked, as you've heard on the show many times, your crucible experiences are difficult. We know that, but they are not the end of your story. In fact, they can be the beginning of a new chapter of your story. If you apply those lessons, if you dig in to that anchor for your soul that we talked about at the very beginning and that we talk about on this show all the time. If that happens, if you pursue that, the next chapter of your story that you'll write can be the most rewarding one of all because where it leads you to is a life of significance. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something from it, we invite you to engage more deeply with those of us at Beyond the Crucible. Visit our website, beyondthecrucible.com, to explore a plethora of offerings to help you transform what's been broken into breakthrough. A great place to start? Our free online assessment, which will help you pinpoint where you are on your journey beyond your crucible and to chart a course forward. See you next week.